this week on the Backtable Podcast. I've done tens of thousands of cases now, and I had not seen anything yet in all the various hospitals that I've worked in that does what Wirewatch does. And so I think that was important. I mean, believe in yourself and you're the expert, right? I mean, you're the one who, who does this every day. So if you feel it works, you just got to stick with it and really start to develop those channels, whether it be cold calling a big multi-billion dollar company or looking up and calling small town or small firms that help develop products. If they see the potential, chances are they'll work with you to invest with you. So I think it's just a matter of perseverance and really believing in your idea. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Backtable Innovation Podcast. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on backtable.com. This is our next installment in the Backtable Innovation Show where you will hear stories from physician entrepreneurs who are helping to drive healthcare forward through medtech innovation. Today we've got a very special episode once again discussing actual true Backtable innovations. That's why I'm really excited about this one. Something <laughs> that really will advance your practice on the Backtable with vasosurgeon Dr. Patrick Neville. Welcome, Patrick. Great to be here. It's an honor to be asked to join you. And we were connected via Jay Sanchez, I believe, right? That's right. For the most part, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so I got to meet Jay at by a couple of ways. One was I met him at Western Angio back in October, and also he connected me with the Vazorm folks. And we did a, a Kelt episode not too long ago. For our listeners, if you didn't catch that one, definitely go back and listen to that. A very innovative new technology that I'm hearing more and more positive feedback about in terms of patients recovering faster and being a lot more comfortable after femoral access. So Patrick, what I'd like to do to start out these innovation episodes, tell us about your background and then maybe kind of dive into where you were in your career when the original idea for the innovation you're going to be telling us about came about. Sure. So like you'd set up a, a full-time vascular surgeon, 100% clinical practice. I actually practice in my hometown. We went off to, to, to college, medical school, residency, and an integrated program in Cincinnati. And the plan was to always come back home and practice. So it's a suburb of St. Louis. I work in a big multi-specialty medical group. And, and the idea for Wirewatch probably came about, it's, I've had it for quite a bit in terms of the concept but probably my intern year or even my second year in training when I really started to get in the, the angio suites and, and start performing endovascular cases is kind of when this problem that I had kind of identified when I started to kind of work through solutions. And so, so the idea is I've had the idea for probably well over a decade. Okay. And so, yeah, so it's, it's just, it was one of those things that a lot of misconceptions that I had held about how to actually bring an idea to market probably held me back a little. But the idea has been there for, yeah, for well over a decade. What was it in your practice that made you think of this problem and the solution for this problem? Well, anybody who works within this space understands the importance of wire management, wire control. And that was something that was stressed to me as I was learning from very simple diagnostic cases to now very complex multi-access type stuff. And so Wire management and control was something that I think any good operator has to have, not only them, but every member on their team. And so I remember as I was learning and trying to take in all these different concepts and do a good job and not hurt people, I focused on multiple different aspects of the procedure. And one thing I, I realized was we don't have a good way to control the wire. 
not only necessarily in the patient, but on the back table, right? Or the part of the wire that's exposed. And so I'm looking around and I, I see a bunch of wet towels being thrown down and kind of at times chaos, right? And so is that the more complex the case, the more wires you open. And one thing that always kind of bothered me was the potential for wire damage and or contamination. And again, anybody who, who does this on a regular basis knows it's a problem, right? And so I, I just thought to myself, we've got we to be able to do better. I mean, there's got to be a better way. Totally. And so that was the genesis of this all. So like one thing with wire control and wire management that I always think about when that comes up is in fellowship, we'd always be doing these tips cases. You'd have the, the back to will be a mess, wires everywhere bouncing around. And I remember a couple of cases in particular, we'd have access after like hours trying to get that needle across that liver parenchyma into the portal vein. And you got your wire where it needs to go. And then we had these big long wires and one of it, something touched the ground or it, it touched somebody's leg or something. And we're like, shit, what do we do? It's in the body. It's where we need it to be. What do we do at the back of this wire? Right. And so one of my attendings showed me this trick. He'd say, give me two um, sponge sticks. He'd say, give me two of those. And he'd run them, activate them, and they'd run them along the back of the wire to basically sterilize them. And I was like, oh, that's a cool trick. So I've had that come up so many times in practice where I just, all right, well, we don't have time right now to like go find a new wire. Let's just decontaminate this with some sterile scrub, basically. Sure. And I've seen alcohol swabs being used. I've opened wire cutters and cut the wire. And so it was all of those, all of those things. And I just kept saying to myself, there's got to be a better way. There's just got to be a better way. We can do all this cool stuff in the body, but we're actually not very good at controlling things outside of the body. And I think one of the things that I noticed more and more was I control the table. So there's a lot going on in these cases. And I want my focus to really be on the patient and what's going on in front of me. And so the, our techs and, and, the, and the folks on our team who we work with, they're amazing. They're, they're very skilled and they have a ton to manage. You know, we have one tech scrub our peripheral cases with us. And for multi-access cases, complex aortic work, things like that, we may have five, six, eight wires open and we'll oftentimes go back and forth between 014, 018, and 035 profiles. And so it's as much, if not more, a tech tool as it is an operator tool. But I think what it does is it just, it kind of gives that insurance policy and it allows us to focus more on what we're there to do. Exactly. Exactly. And so you have this idea and you told me the first time we spoke, like you're very busy. Your wife's a physician as well, right? She is. She's an internist. Yes. And you have four kids. Like you don't have a lot of bandwidth to be going down this pathway of starting a company or anything like that. What, what was your next step? Like you had this idea, you thought this is going to be a game changer. What was your next step after that? You know, honestly, I thought that I was going to work 35 years or retire and something was going to come out along the way. And I was going to say, man, I thought of that 20 years ago. Like I said, I just had so many misconceptions about what it took to bring something to market. And so, and a few of those were this, you know, I thought that I had to have a full patent search done. I thought that I had to have a patent before I could approach a company. I thought, how much do I want to invest out of my own pocket? right? I mean, how much is this going to cost? Do I have to build my own prototype? How do I do that? I don't know the first thing about product design. I'm not an engineer. I don't have any formal engineering training at all. I was a finance major in college. So it was something that I kind of just buried in the recesses of my brain. But then 
intermittently throughout these cases, it just kept coming back up over the course of 12 years, let's say. And it was kind of pure happenstance. I was out in California doing some consulting work, independent of Wirewatch, obviously. And I met a guy by the name of Ashok Gout. He was, he's a CEO of Biotechs down in Houston, an engineering consulting firm and product development firm. And we happened to be sitting next to each other at lunch. And we just kind of struck up a conversation. And I thought to myself, well, you know, what the heck? All he can say is no, right? Or, you know, I'm not interested. So I said, hey, you know, I have, I have this idea or at least this problem that I've identified. And I'd love to talk to you and your team more about how can we maybe partner together and figure something out to solve this problem. And so I explained it to him a little bit. We exchanged phone numbers and emails and we set up a couple calls and I took him through the, the clinical problem that I wanted to solve, which was key. He really helped streamline and kind of make it an easier process because I was filled with a lot of misconceptions about the whole process in general. And he said, let's start with the clinical problem. You know, what problem are you trying to solve? And one thing that he said that resonated with me still to this day is he goes, you're a full-time busy vascular surgeon. You do this all day, every day. If it's a problem for you, chances are it's a problem for other people. And if you have not seen something that addresses the problem, that may mean that there's nothing there on the market yet. So he actually really kind of went basic with it. And then we built up. And then from there, we partnered. And over the course of about a year and a half, we came together on designs and prototypes. And here we are. Yeah. And you mentioned you don't have like an engineering background. Did you already have a concept in your head of like how it could work? And then he put you in touch with an engineer to help kind of design that? Or was it just starting from the drawing board? Like, okay, what do we envision this doing? You know, start with function and then proceed with design. Can you tell us about that process? Yeah. Yeah. So the initial idea I had wasn't what we have now as the final product. And some of that was regulatory things and testing. And some things are more complex and require different FDA approvals and, and testing. And so, yeah, so we, we truly partnered, me and Biotechs and their team, in coming up with the final design. I mean, it was literally us going back and forth going, okay, well, what about this? All right, I like that idea, but what if we do this too? And it was just that over the course of however many months. And then we finally settled on something that I felt that was going to be a tool that was going to really add value. They relied on me a lot for the clinical portion. And obviously they took it from the engineering and regulatory standpoint and ran with it. It was a true partnership through and through. Fantastic. Did they bring any other physicians for their input or were you really kind of the, the primary source for that? I was the primary source all the way through early commercialization. And then now, since we've engaged other physicians, Dr. Patrick Muck in Cincinnati at Good Samaritan Tri-Health Hospital, I trained there. He's been a big player in helping advocate for this. And he actually took it when we were commercially available in a limited release and did a study over the course of several months in, in complex aortic work. And they were actually able to prove that overall, in those types of cases, the, the hospital and the system will save money and what we looked at there was wire drops and wire contamination. So he took it and did the first clinical study. And then since then, we've engaged with limited systems throughout the country. And you know what we were wanting to do is make sure what we believed was going to be a valuable tool, we wanted to make sure it was commercially marketable and it actually did what we said it was going to do. And, and the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. So here we are. You basically found an amazing, sounds like, I would say somebody to help you guide, basically, to help you develop this product. Walk us through how the device works. This is an audio podcast, but most people can envision sort of wires and back tails and so forth. Can you just kind of describe how the wire watch works? 
Sure. It's the size of a watch, hence the name wire watch. And so it's a small, low profile disc that has a medical adhesive on one side that you can use or not use, which is important because when it's being used for angios or whatever case it is, you could actually, it'll adhere to the drape and it will stick on the drape. You can even take it off and move it to various places. And what it does is it stabilizes and, and secures the wire outside of the patient. So you're not throwing wet towels and gauze and such on top. And then on the other side, you're able to write and label what wire or wires you're holding and or using. So it's, it's an organization tool in that aspect as well. Inside that disc is tapered atraumatic foam that will secure the wire whether that wire's in the body or it's looped and secured on the back table and waiting to be used again. So it was very important for me during the design process to not have something that was bulky. It needed to be low profile so it didn't interrupt the flow of the case. I wanted to improve efficiency and not have something that was cumbersome or going to be kind of get in the way. So you're able to use it with one hand as an operator so I can advance a wire through the sheath and manipulate the wire or catheter. And then on the back table, and or downstream from the patient, it will secure the wire as well. So yeah, I kind of think of three things like safety, security, and stability. Right. And I did get a chance to use it. I really like the idea of having it on the patient at the end of the table so that, you know, wires tend to like bounce up and hit the monitor, right? When we're exchanging and so forth. And so if you can have something, instead of, again, instead of a wet towel that just keeps it in place so you can pop it in and just to let everybody know, I mean, I got a chance to use it uh, about a month ago and it is very easy to use and it is very simple in design. It's literally like a little disc, like you said, and it's very lightweight. And I was just using it for pretty basic cases like IVC filter retrieval and a couple other things. But really, I wanted to get it in the hands of the techs because like you said, it's really more geared towards them anyway for wire management. And it was funny because text, you know how text could be. They're like, ah, whatever. You know, I'll just use a wet towel. It works well and whatever. I don't need some device. And and then you get it in the hands and they're like, oh, this is, this is pretty cool. You know? <laughs> yeah, you're right. And one of our techs at where I work, the first couple of cases, she, it was funny. She's like, this is, I don't need this. This is just a waste. And it was like, I don't know if it was a couple of days or, or whatever, but they grow to like it. They really do. And it, what it does is I think it allows them to, to have their hands free and be able to focus more on what they need to do. It's a tool that I think just improves efficiency. And there's a bunch of secondary and tertiary things that, you know, that we've come to learn that WireWatch designed for wire security and, and storage, but we've come to find out from the, from the limited commercial release coil embolizations and microcatheters. It's being used in neurointerventions for to hold not just wires, but but microcatheters and coils and all sorts of things. And then, you know, the advantage too is it's all lint free. And so that's something that I've encountered in my practice is lint contamination and lint embolization even. And it's in the literature, it's more in the neuro literature, but we don't open towels anymore. This really cleans up the table. So you mentioned the lint piece, but the most positive feedback I got was they loved the pad that comes with it for wetting the wire, or that's what they were using it for. I assume that's what the intention is, right? So that's something that I kind of just came to like, I think in training, I noticed that the gauze pads would leave fibers on the wire. And then as you're advancing a catheter over it or atherectomy device or whatever, you can see that build up at the hub of the sheath. And it's just, maybe it's my little OCD tendencies, but I, it just bothered me. So then I was not using the 4x4 gauze anymore. I was opening those lint-free wipes. And so that's why we included that in there because that's a valuable tool. Everyone loves that. 
Yeah, they were like, oh, the wire watch is very cool. They were like, we really like the pads. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know that was like an added feature in there. So yeah, because when you and I first spoke, we were talking about even just cost savings, right? Of wires falling off the table, hitting something, getting contaminated. Have you guys looked at the cost of that? I know that might be challenging, but I mean, we know it's there's something there. It's just whether or not there's data to, to support it. So that's where Dr. Muck, that's where their three-month trial of Good Samaritan was was crucial. And they were able to show several hundred dollar savings in the in when used in these complex cases. I mean, Aaron, when you think about talking about TIPS procedures and some of these really complex things that interventional radiology is doing, neurointervention, I mean, what do you think the average wire costs? There's wires that are over a thousand a piece. And I know you've seen it. We've all seen it where they flop on the floor and you pull it out of the patient and you just open another one. And that happens routinely. And like I said, anybody who does this for a living knows that's an issue. So yeah. And what's crazy is that isn't spelled out very well in the literature. There's a few papers out there that are looking or that have looked at secondary wires that were opened and product waste, but it's sparse. And so that's one thing that we're working diligently to really tease out because we know we're confident, not only did Dr. Muck prove it, but we're confident that this is something that can be a major cost savers for health systems. Sure. It seems like it's not something that's going in the patient. So was it really challenging to get it FDA approved or what was that process like? Yeah, it didn't take, because it's that category, it didn't take formal studies. It's not going in the patient. So yeah, that part was fairly easy. The harder part and the thing that I think is just healthcare in general is just cost, right? And so one thing that we found is that anything that a system views is not billable, sometimes they can struggle to kind of wrap their heads around. If it's not a revenue stream, right, we don't want to approve it. Most systems have recognized this right away when we've approached them, and it's been fairly straightforward to get it through their value analysis committees. Other systems have been a little bit more stringent and difficult because it's not billable. But once you have a physician leader who explains it and explains the value, and then we're able to, to prove that we can actually save money overall, it's usually universally accepted. Yeah, having those position champions to kind of push it, get it in front of the right people is definitely key. Any other challenges in terms of adoption? I mean, again, until people use it, it's kind of hard for them to accept that it's going to make a difference. You're absolutely right. And I think as soon as they look at it, like you said, it's simple. And that was, it's simple because that was our goal. We didn't want right. to have to sit there and take up 30 minutes of a busy physician's time to try to explain how it worked or what it does. We can simply hand the package to either a tech or a physician and they say, oh, this is cool. It's kind of self-explanatory on how to use it. So no, I mean, I, I think, but you're absolutely right. It takes just seeing it and seeing kind of examples of different cases it was used. And then most people, like I said, they get the problem and they actually say, oh, this is, oh, this is, this is genius. Why, you know, this is simple. Why, why, didn't, why didn't I think of this? And so I said, well, you have thought of it. <laughs> Everybody's thought of it. We just took it to another level. But no, once people see it and hold it, it's basically accepted or it has been thus far. Well, so yeah, we had a box of them. And it's funny because like I was there for a week and I was waiting for a case to come around. And then one of the techs was like, well, are they that expensive? Can't want Let's just open one up and play with it and see. That way we know if we're going to like it. And, and that's what we did because they aren't really that expensive. I forget what it was, but it is cheap enough where you could open a pack play with it, get a feel for it, show your techs how to use it before you use it in a case. Wouldn't you say? Absolutely. It takes less than five minutes and you could integrate it into your your workflow. 
And it is, it's relatively inexpensive. And again, we needed that because we needed it to be way less than what the average wire we use is. And so, yeah, that was all kind of by design, but you know, healthcare and cost is a big driver. It's not always clinically what it can offer. It's what number, what value does it add that's we can see on a balance sheet. And so th- those are the things that, you know, that we've worked through, which we expected. But I strongly believe that this this is a tool that can be very widespread in its adoption. And, you know, my goal, our goal is, in a, you know, down the road that this is universal, right? It's no different than a torque device or something else that comes in a pack. Exactly. It sounds like you've had some luck getting it into hospitals. What about the outpatient setting, OBLs, ASCs, where wire management is even more important because of cost? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I've learned a lot through this process in terms of how the the other side of our business and industry works. Again, I, I this is not this is all new territory to me, and we're working on driving that cost down. Biotechs in terms of supply and the raw materials and things. You know, I've learned about all these processes that go on behind the scenes that you know that as physicians we don't think about, and they've kind of reconfigured things. And as demand has continued to grow we can continue to drive that cost down. And actually what we're planning on doing is changing the configuration to where you can get single devices and that cost per device will go down. And I think that's going to be much more attractive for the ASCs and the OBLs. So Pat, look, I I mean, we've covered how it works. We've covered why people like it. Anything that was negative, that was unexpected, like anybody say, ah, you know what? This just didn't do it for me for A, B, and C reasons. Anything like that? Yeah, there's been a few few people who just I think have their process, you know, as interventionalists or surgeons or, or any of these specialties, you have the way with which you do it, right? And I think there's been a few, maybe a handful of folks that said, you know, like, hey, great idea, it's cool, but we're fine with the processes that we have. But overall, I think, I mean, a vast, vast majority of people, I was actually shocked. I I kind of expected a 50-50 response. I expected a couple of people like, you know, what is this? I don't I don't need this. You know, there are people like, oh, this is cool. It's been overwhelmingly positive. And I mean, more so that I, I was a little bit surprised. And I think it's just because it's a simple tool. It's well-designed, but it's a simple tool that solves a very common problem. And this thing that I think is also appealing is it's not just for vascular surgeons. It's not just for radiologists. It's not just for cardiologists or neurointerventionists. It's for, it's for any specialty that uses a wire, right? Which, as you know, where we're headed in medicine, more and more minimally invasive and endovascular solutions to complex problems is is the way of the future. Yeah. I mean, look at GI. They're using wires every day sure as well. Are. Yeah. Well, any advice for docs who have an idea, even a simple idea, like the way WireWatch started, and maybe just like you, like they just don't know where to get started. They think that it's a big complex process. They're kind of sitting on it. Any advice on how to get started? It sounds like you kind of lucked out and talking to the right people, but Maybe that's part of the challenge, right? It's like getting it in front of the right people. Yeah. And I mean, there's this is open doors for for me in terms of product design and industry relationships and such. I think the big thing is really just believing in what you have, right? Don't let somebody tell you who may not even work within that field that it's not going to work. And I think that's important is I knew that there was a problem and there was a, a better way with which we can do this. And I've done tens of thousands of cases now, and I had not seen anything yet in all the various hospitals that I've worked in that does what WireWatch does. And so I think that was important. I mean, believe in yourself and you're the expert, right? I mean, you're the one who, who does this every day. 
So if you feel it works, you just got to stick with it and really start to develop those channels, whether it be cold calling a big multi-billion dollar company or looking up and calling small town or small firms that help develop products. If they see the potential, chances are they'll work with you to invest with you. So I, I think it's just a matter of perseverance and really believing in your idea. Yeah, completely. I mean, that's the sort of the common thread of all the prior guests we've had on the show is just you got to persist. You can't take no for an answer, really, if you really believe in it, right? If it has if it has legs in your head, then just keep talking to people. And if I had pitched a podcast seven years ago when we first started this to everybody, I'm sure it would have gotten a lot of miz and no, that's never going to work. But here we are six years later and it works. And so I completely agree with that. You just got to push forward and persist. And, and I mean, look, we all went through med, we all made it through med school and residency. So we know how to do that. Yeah. And I think that's, you're absolutely right. I mean, this podcast is another really neat tool that helps physicians. You know, we're all kind of in this together, right? And so doing various things like this and meeting people and being confident and persistent. I think anybody who knows me knows that persistence is something that I have. <laughs> I have. And so I did. I lucked out in the sense that I met Ashok that day and I took a chance and here we are. But persistence and belief in what you have, I think, is the most important thing that I would tell somebody who's at the start of that journey. When you're about to do a case, say you're doing femoral and pedal access, you know it's a complex CTO or recanalization. Is there a default number of wire watches that you're starting with or you just leave it to the techs and they're going to open up as many as they need? Or is there a standard that you start out with? Well, I would encourage anybody who's interested to reach out to Biotechs and we're, we've put together a case log and not only, you know, photo and video log of kind of how to use it. As more and more physicians are adapting it into their practices, people find that kind of their own ways even, which is neat to see. You know, I'll get a random text message and be like, hey man, look, I was able to do this, this, and this with just one or, or it only required two. Right now, two come in a pack. I think we have found that two for a fairly standard case and even a single access complex case is adequate. The reason we went to different packaging is because we want to be able to have people open as many as they feel they need. Generally, anywhere from two to four, depending on the complexity and the number of access points, is sufficient. We've seen bilateral iliac and aortic interventions holding two or three wires at a time and only one being used. So. It's neat to see how people adapt it in their own way. Right. Well, on that note, we would love to have you back on the show, on the Vastor and Eventual Show, to discuss a clinical topic, Patrick, at some point. And so hopefully uh, take us up on that. We've got more things coming. We're working on additional devices to try to kind of really hammer home the concept of wire management and control. And so we've got a few things that we're working on that we're excited about that hopefully we can bring to market here in you know, the next year or so. Oh, okay. Fantastic. How are you marketing WireWatch? Are you guys just, are you doing conferences? Are you doing- Everything. Articles? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, everything. They've built a sales team. Vic Bazo is our national sales leader and he's built a team of reps uh, now spanning the country. And we're kind of doing kind of a multi-pronged marketing approach. Things like this, we're taking part in, um, in a webinar for techs and nurses at the end of the month, partnering with Asahi and doing an hour-long webinar to kind of explain the concept and how WireWatch can be a useful tool. And so we're doing everything from conferences to systems to individual physicians. It's kind of a, it's a process. It's been fun. It's been a lot of fun to be a part of this. And I've got Biotechs in them and that team to thank for it. So we'll see where it leads. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Patrick. Thank you to the audience for listening. I will catch you on the next one. All right. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Backtable Innovation on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Backtable Innovation is produced and hosted by Brian Hartley, Aaron Fritz, Diana Velasquez-Pimentel, and Eric Yamaker. Our audio team is led by Kieran Gannon, with support from Josh McWhirter, Aaron Bowles, Nick Shellcross, and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz. Social media and PR by Ann Dang. Administrative support provided by Jim Lee Kennebrew. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.